Wings Way, a podcast looking back at the history of the Kalamazoo Wings. I'm voice of the K-Wings, Isaac Berkey, and throughout the course of this season, we're going to hear a lot of great stories and get a behind-the-scenes look from those players and coaches who lived it over the last 44 seasons. This edition of the Wings Way podcast joined by former K-Wing forward, former K-Wing assistant coach, K-Wing head coach, Claude Noel. Claude, really appreciate you taking some time out of your uh, your afternoon here and out there in sunny Phoenix to join us and chat with us a little bit. Yeah, great to be with you. So we'll start with when you first got to Kalamazoo as a player. You'd spent some time playing in Toledo the first couple of years or the the year before. What did you what did you kind of remember about playing in Kalamazoo? What was kind of the uh, the the stereotype or the kind of the the uh, the what people thought about Kalamazoo around the league at that point? Well, this was in eighty. I can't remember exactly the years that kind of all meshed together. But <laughs> you're right. I I what happened is that I was in the American League for five years. I then I went to Europe for a year as a player and import, and in Switzerland I came back and then went to Toledo in eighty somewhere eighty four eighty five I think it was, and then I was half a year there. And I ended up getting traded to Kalamazoo and spent the second half of, of that year there and then went back uh, the next year, I think it was. I was there about two and a half years. But you know what? The uh, Kalamazoo was, was one of the plum uh, places to play in Kalamazoo. It was a very well-run organization. It was a really good fan base. Uh, Mr. and Mrs. Parfait were the owners there. And Billy Inglis was the coach when I when – I, uh, had uh, landed there and it was a great place to play really enjoyed it it was a great town we lived in Portage and uh, we loved it there you mentioned you'd you'd played that significant time in the AHL you had a handful of games in the NHL as far as level of play with the IHL and the AHL at the time what was the difference in your eyes between those two leagues well, you know, that's a good question because it was kind of in a transformation, the IHL then. When I first went to the IHL, was 82-83 in Toledo, and I was there one year, and we won the, the Turner Cup, and then I left and went back to Europe. But anyway, the uh, then it was a, probably a little, it was a lower level than the American League. This was in 82-83, but as I was, exiting the IHL, which would have been 87-88 was my last season. Between there, I played some, like, two and a half years in Kalamazoo. It was just starting to transform itself into the equal uh, level of the American League because uh, farm teams were coming in. Chicago was in Milwaukee, I believe. Calgary was in Salt Lake City. Um, uh, turned out Minnesota North Stars slash Dallas Stars had moved into Kalamazoo, got an affiliation. So the level of play was was quite a bit better towards 86, 87 than it was when I started in 82, 83. So it, was, it started to catch up to the American Hockey League. It was really good. But when I first got there, it was probably a little lower than the American League. But both were really good leagues. You were here in that in that uh, that two year span where there's there's still a lot of guys from those those two teams that are still in the Kalamazoo Portage area. 
it seems like there's something about that group of guys that's kind of let them, even though those two years didn't necessarily win a championship, it's kind of allowed them to be such a close-knit group still. what From your experience, what was it about that room that really clicked and made that group close-knit? Well, you know, we had some we had some real good character guys there, and you're right. I, I know the, the guys that are still kind of still around there uh, that I played with, uh, you know, I think it was just a, it was a, just a, a good group of guys. We really enjoyed uh, spending time together. We had a lot of fun. We thought Thomas was a really good place, good place to play. It, for me, uh, when I was there, I was around twenty. I can't remember exactly. I was around twenty-eight or something. But we had uh, one of our uh, our boys was born there, so I, we became a, a parent there. So it was just very good. But we really enjoyed the the room camaraderie. The the guys that were there had been played there in Kalamazoo for a number of years. Uh, George Gagnon, Kevin Shamahorn, Wade Dawson, Brian McDavid, there's a whole slew of them. John Flesh, those guys. We had a good group and we had a, a pretty talented team, but we were never able to really win it in the end, and that's really what you play for. But we uh, we just loved the environment, and I think we got along real well. Was there? You mentioned you guys had a lot of fun. Was there one guy on the team, or a couple of guys that were kind of the uh, the room pranksters that would always always be up to something? Oh, <laughs> I think there is on every team. <laughs> I think there is on every team, and it was we had some fun times. It's just there were so many episodes that it's hard to really nail down one, but or even one person. But there was a, we had some good character guys, and uh, there I, I can't really recall being just one guy we had some some fun times i I certainly remember that (laughs) all right we'll leave we'll leave that one at that we'll we'll fast forward in your career you move you transfer into coaching you're in dayton for two years then you come back to kalamazoo how did that opportunity arise to come back and rejoin the k-wings in the 93-94 season you know it was kind of i think it was more my relationship with uh billy inglis uh, kind of helped my transformation from playing to coaching. What happened was that eventually I retired. I played one year, my last year in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and uh, then I went back home to be an assistant coach in junior for two years and then landed myself in the East Coast League. And then I got a call from uh, Les Jackson, who was working with the Dallas Stars or Slash Minnesota North Stars, and they were making a change in their their coach in uh, in Kalamazoo, and I was in Dayton at the time, and I was the affiliation at the Double A level, so I had a relationship already with uh, with the, uh, the Dallas Stars or Minnesota, wherever they were at the time. And Billy Inglis was the manager in Kalamazoo, and uh, I was up for the head coaching job in Fort Wayne with the Comets. They ended up hiring Bruce Boudreaux, and I was going to return to Dayton, and then. Les Jackson called me up and asked me if I would consider flying to Philadelphia to meet with Ken Hitchcock, who they had just hired as their head coach. And because uh, I, I didn't really want to go up to the IHL and be an assistant coach. So I flew into Philly and uh, we met for a couple hours. And then I got home and I said, I think it's, it's time to go. It was a really good interview. I really enjoyed uh, talking with Ken and and, uh, you know, what he he thought of the coaching situation, my situation, and I thought it would be a positive move. And, and that's, so 
so then that's how I ended up returning there. So we ended up buying a house in Kalamazoo. I was there two and a half years as an assistant, and he got promoted to Dallas, and then I took over as the uh, the head coach in uh, with the K-Wings for two and a half years. And then I got released from there. And, I, and it's funny when you look back, those years in Kalamazoo, <laughs> They weren't. I wasn't very good as a head coach. I was too. I was too concerned about trying to be a young Ken Hitchcock Jr. almost, and that's something you can't do when you coach. You coach your personality, and not someone else's. And I knew that, but it just. I had a lot of respect for the way he coached and how much success he had. But I was very confrontational in my years, in uh, as a head coach in Kalamazoo. I got let go from there, and then. Uh, had to do some soul searching. We had a young family. I ended up moving uh, to Milwaukee and being assistant coach with the Admirals for well, four years, I think, then. But, I mean, it's funny how it goes. I mean, I ended up, ended up coaching thirty some, uh, about you know, 28, 30 years, and uh, I look back at Kalamazoo, and they were great years, but I wish I could have stayed there longer because we really enjoyed it there. Our family really enjoyed it there. You mentioned you tried to kind of be a Ken Hitchcock Jr. when you took over as the head coach. What, from your perspective, is someone that's worked under him? Because he's still, he's still a coach that's very, very revered, obviously in the game, but in Kalamazoo especially, people talk nothing but great things about him. What makes what makes and made Ken Hitchcock so successful as a coach that you were maybe trying to emulate? That's a good question. You know, he was uh, he was very demanding. Uh, he was very organized. He got a lot of miles out of our team. I remember the teams that we had there when Ken was there as the head coach. I was the assistant, and he he got a lot of miles out of our team. Uh, it, it was a, a good relationship with uh, Dallas and Kalamazoo. Ken did a real good job of of always keeping his foot on the uh, on the pedal and getting squeezing a lot out of our group. We, we had a real good year the one year with there with uh, Rob, Robbie Brown and Eric Smith and and that group. Uh, and we didn't have great success in the playoffs, which was disappointing, but we had a real good season there. He was he was very good. He was very good, very organized, and, and was a high-pressure coach. The, the team worked, and I thought that our guys played very well the years that Ken was the head coach there. And, and that's the type of uh, that th- that kind of success is what I wanted to have as well. So the reason that I ca- got caught into emulating kind of that was was the demanding part. You can be demanding, but you still have to be yourself. And that's eventually what I got back to being was being demanding, but being myself. I was never going to be someone else, whether it was Ken Hitchcock or anybody else, you know. But I I, I thought with Ken, uh, he was. He was very organized, and the teams played hard, and we had a lot of success. And those were years when uh, we were there. We were playing against uh, teams like the Detroit Vipers and Chicago Wolves, and these guys were on big-budget teams. And so it was really hard to compete because the, these guys were paying indivi- individual players quite a bit more than what we were, what we had in, in Kalamazoo. So. For what we got, I thought we got a lot of miles out of our guys. I think Ken was a big reason for that. How do you how do you work guys to kind of get more out of them? And even when you know you know this team's spending 
X much more, but yet you're still able to kind of work with what you have and mold them into a team that's still successful. How do you manage to do that as a coach? Well, there's different ways. You know, I think one of the things is that you have one of the things you have to have is you have to have a standard of work and you have to hold players accountable to that standard. That's really the key. Whether you're confrontational, not confrontational, players, it doesn't really matter. Players, it's the accountability that really matters. And if you're not happy with the player's performance, then holding him accountable means you take away his ice time and you move him from first line to third line or, or third line into the stands or those type of things. That's how, that's how you do it. It's easier said than done. What happens on a team and what, what ends up being the motor that drives the team is that accountability because you have to, when you coach, you have to get the 10th forward competing to try to become ninth or, you know, or to try to go from the third line or fourth line to the third line and the third line trying to always keep players reaching to move up. So as they're playing better, you reward them. And as a player is not playing very well, you demote him. So if, for example, if a guy's a second line player, so he's a top six player, if he's not playing very well, move him to the third line, move the third line left winger up to the second line. Now you create that inner competition and that's really what drives your team. And that's really what enables you to, to have success when you make players accountable for good play and then you hold that standard but the key the key for you as a coach is the standard that you set and then how much you make them accountable to holding that account that uh, that level of play that's really what how it works best eventually when i left kalamazoo eventually i found my way again i found my way head coaching again i had then i had i ended up having a fair amount of success in uh, milwaukee we have some good teams, but it's it's that push and that standard and that accountability that really ends up drives your success, providing you got good enough players, and we had good enough players. When you look back at your time coaching, whether it was as an assistant or as a head coach, is there one or two guys that kind of stick out in your mind as players that you just you love to coach and were almost that coach's dream to have playing for you? Oh, there's a lot of guys. There's a lot of guys. There's a lot of guys in a lot of different leagues too, whether it's the National League or the American League or the IHL or even these coast leagues, you know. And it would be hard to mention a few players because there's there's quite a few of them. But it's always usually the same: the players that that as a coach, I think that you like, whether it's me or any coach. I think coaches in general like the same type of players, and they're they're players that commit to the to the team and the team game first not their individual accolades or top scorers or that stuff I mean it's okay to be a top scorer providing you play the right way and I think every coach wants their players to play the right way and the ones that end up uh, that end up uh, that you you enjoy coaching are the guys that are serious and they play the right way and they put in the, the work I mean, there's so many guys, and we we had you know, Pekka Rene when I was in Milwaukee, Pekka Rene, Shea Weber, Ryan Suter. There was a whole, Scotty Upshaw, there was a whole slew of guys that were Greg Zanner. There was a whole slew of guys, but at all levels, there's, uh, even when I was in East Coast League, there was there were some guys that, that you really liked, and you liked them because they, they put in the work, and they played for the team first, and that's, I think, I think when you win, when you get an opportunity to win a championship, you know that it's 
commitment to the to the group that really brings you success, and that's that's really the the key. And those are the players you end up really enjoy coaching because they take their job serious. When you were here in Kalamazoo, we'll shift back to either we can go with either your playing time or your coaching time. I'll let you you oh, choose here, but a lot of well, there there were. You were here in that time where there were a lot of teams kind of right around close. You had your Fort Wayne, your Detroit, the Muskegon, yeah. the Toledos. Was there one one kind of rivalry that you enjoyed being a part of the most? Well, you know what? we When I was playing, uh, I remember the rivalry we had with Muskegon because they had some good teams. They were affiliated with Pittsburgh Penguins at the time, I think, and they had some good teams. Ricky Lee was their coach. They had uh, Jock Callender was Dave McKaylick who played in Kalamazoo and then wasn't there when I was, was there, but he had left and gone to Muskegon. Those were good teams in Muskegon. That was a pretty heavy rivalry that we had uh, going with them. I really enjoyed those years. And then when the league started to change and the IHL kind of went uh, with the Detroit Vipers and the Chicago Wolves and stuff like that, they kind of changed the face of the league a little bit. The, the talent was was real good. There were some real good players, and so then I was coaching, and it was it was, uh, the, you know, I think you really the one thing about rivalries is you really enjoy the level that the the bar gets raised to a, a new level because of either the emotion in the series or the emotion in the between the two cities and the emotion with the fans and the players and there's it's almost like a borderline uh, dislike for each other but it makes it uh for a way better game and we had that a lot with muskegon in the years i was playing there for sure and when when we were there with uh, ken hitchcock and i was assistant coach and we had some good games with the vipers and some of those teams because they were i kind of joke around they, they were the the team that shopped at Nordstrom's and uh, we shopped more at uh, Walmart because our budgets were different. We had uh, an affiliation with the Dallas Stars and they were independent. So the big money team versus the low budget team. And we always had success, but we competed hard. But uh, the rivalry games are, are, are a lot of fun because of the level of emotions involved. In. I've heard some stories from guys, Some I've heard a, a wide range of kind of funny, crazy stories about things that happened. Is there one that sticks out when you think about your time playing against Muskegon, whether it's a brawl, guys going into the stands, guys shooting pucks at a Zamboni? I've heard a little bit of everything. Is there one that comes to mind for you? There isn't one in particular, but I remember, <laughs> I remember especially in the mid-'80s, there was some heavy-duty games for the IHL was – when I first landed in '82, '83, that league it was a pretty tough league, and it was it was tough when I played in the Kalamazoo era as well. It's pretty pretty tough. I don't think it was as crazy it was in the earlier parts, which would have been late or middle '70s. That's when it was pretty wild. But I, there, I don't know if there's one particular game. <laughs> we had we had quite a few of them. <laughs> the game then versus the game now is a way way different game. Goodness me, from the well, just the fighting alone, that type of scenarios. I mean, having a bench-clearing brawl was not uh, something that you would see once or twice a year. That was <laughs> with more regularity. But, you know, I think you had to really like that competitive competitiveness that we had. And, and I, there's really no one game or, or series that stands out in my mind that I can sit and say, oh, I remember on this day, this was wild. But we had some, We had some pretty wild games. It was a lot of fun. 
we had some good, uh, you know, Fort Wayne, the, the Fort Wayne uh, Comets was another rivalry that we had then that was, that was really a lot of fun playing and even coaching against. Since you mentioned the changes in the game, you're you're still involved with the game, working as a scout. What's what's your opinion on kind of the way the game has shifted, and you know per se the new rules and just the way things are changing and developing in hockey right now? Well, I like them. They're they're quite a bit different. They they it's really removed itself. Hockey has changed in in well, really what's what's allowed it to change is the rules have changed quite a bit. When you were in the 70s, 80s, even 90s, there was a lot of clutching and grabbing and <clears throat> holding players up. and uh, That's really got removed from the game because of the rules. You can't do those things anymore. And what it's done, it's allowed more skill, more speed to come forward. And it's allowed uh, even smaller players to play. There was a time where if you were a small player, there was, it was hard to to move up, you could play maybe in the minors and the IHL, the AHL, but your chances of playing in the National Hockey League weren't very good. But now, when you look around, because of the rule changes, if it doesn't, your size is really not a factor anymore. And I think that's where the game has really has really improved. Is the speed and skill of the players really come through in today's game versus the the 80s and 90s? Because then there was the, it's the rules. It's the, the clutching and grabbing mostly. And a lot of the fighting has gone from the game, and that's probably a little bit better thing. But I still like the fact that hockey is one of the few sports that you're allowed to, to have the odd fight. And then now you do you have the odd one because it brings a real level of emotion into the game. But the biggest change for me is the rule changes and the allowance for the speed and the and the skill to come through. I think that's the, the really exciting part of the game now. I'll wrap it up with this last question, and it's been one that I've kind of I've enjoyed getting to ask guys, and I've talked to some of your former former teammates as well and asked them this. When you think about your time in Kalamazoo as well as just thinking about Kalamazoo Wings, the 45th year of K-Wings hockey, if you kind of had to sum up what the organization is, what the organization means into a phrase or sentence, what would it be? Well, <laughs> excuse me. The, the biggest thing for me was when when I got there as a player, even as coach, was it, the for me it was class. It was always a, a class act with uh, Mr. and Mrs. Parfet there and the way they, they ran the, uh, the team. And to me, that was the biggest thing. It was a really class act in the league, whichever league we were in, whether it was the IHL and then moved to the AHL. Uh, it was always a really good place to play. It was very well respected in the league. And um, to me, it would be probably a class act. That would be the, the, the best thing. That's the way, when I look back, that's what I look back at my years at Kalamazoo. And it was a smaller town, smaller market, but we were able to compete, we were able to to show that we could put a, a, a good product, a good team on on the ice that worked. But the organization as a whole for me was a class act, and that's what I really enjoyed most about it. Claude Noel, thanks so much. We really appreciate your time. Yeah, thanks, Isaac. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of Wings Way, and make sure to check back each week for new episodes. Is there a former K-Wing you want to hear from? Head on over to any of our social media accounts, 
and let us know. While you're there, make sure to follow and like us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram so you can stay up to date with all your K-Wings news.